0: This is VLX number 67, He who is to come. We are in Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. God give you his peace. In nomine Patris, et Spiritus, Sancti. Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris, et Spiritus, Sancti. Amen. And just for your information, John in the next few VLXs refers to John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. We begin Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So today we start a new chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel. You'll notice that as we go on, things get more exciting, both as far as the miracles and the tension that grows against our Lord Jesus. Father Lapide gave us a little bit of a summary for what's to come in chapter 11, so we're going to zoom out. I'm just going to give you a single paragraph for what's coming in this whole chapter, just so you can kind of place yourself at the beginning of chapter 11. Father Lapide writes, John the Baptist, through his disciples, asks Christ whether he is the Messiah. Christ replies, not with words, but by deeds. That is, by miracles, that he is the Messiah. Second, Christ praises John as an angel, saying that among those born of women there is no one greater. Third, he censures the Jews because they would reject him as they had rejected John. Fourth, he threatens the cities of Chorazin and Capernaum because after having heard him so often and seen so many signs, they would not believe. Fifth, he teaches that God reveals himself and communicates his mysteries only to the humble and the meek. Let's talk about St. John the Baptist a little bit today. Dr. Taylor Marshall writes this in his book, Crucified Rabbi, quote, The miraculous birth of John the Baptist is recorded in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, where we learn that he is the cousin of Jesus and nephew of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We also learn that John's father was a priest of the Old Covenant, which would also mean that John the Baptist was a priest since the priesthood was passed from father to son. We learn that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb, and that he was chosen to prepare the way for the Messiah in the manner of Elijah the prophet. So remember, as we hear through the gospel, Spirit of Elijah, that's not some weird reference to reincarnation. Jews and Christians, we do not believe in reincarnation. What Spirit of Elijah means, it's saying that the connection between John the Baptist and Elijah is the very, very highest levels of prophecy to the point that they are rejected and loved by their own people. Almost like too much to deal with, that much grace and miracles, but also that much truth. I really believe St. John the Baptist and St. Joseph are probably the most underrated saints of the Catholic Church. For example, did you know the Catholic Church teaches that John the Baptist was conceived in original sin but born without original sin? Yes, you heard that right. The Catholic Church teaches John the Baptist was born without original sin, Because he was justified in the womb of Elizabeth by the voice of Mary. Listen to Luke chapter 1. This is where Mary goes to the hill country to visit her her cousin Elizabeth. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. When that baby leapt, John the Baptist leapt, that was his justification. That was like his baptism. And I'm not saying that in an exaggerated way. This is the Church Fathers. Mary's voice is so powerful. Mary's voice was like baptism that washed away the sin of John the Baptist. Um, the Church Fathers even point to Jeremiah on this. Jeremiah chapter 1-5 is the prophecy that shows John the Baptist was conceived in original sin, but born without original sin. Quote, Before I formed thee in the bowels of thy mother, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and made thee a prophet unto the nations. End quote. That's the Dewey Rhymes version of John Jeremiah, rather, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. The Latin Vulgate was sanctificave te prophetum. So sanctificavi is first person past conjugation, which means I have sanctified. Um, and this happened at the voice of Mary. So John the Baptist again was born without original sin and lived without a venial sin or a mortal sin. If you're not praying to John the Baptist, you should. If you're, You really should go to him for intercession. The Roman canon has him mentioned like seven times. So you have to get it out of his mind. He was just kind of this like homeless, crazy cousin of Jesus or something. The church fathers go so far as to call John the Baptist the morning star because he was the threshold between the night of the Old Testament and the dawn of Christ the Son in the New Testament. The morning star of the patriarchs, the launching point for Christ himself. So you have to remember also, remember this, um, hundreds of thousands of Jews converted after Pentecost to Christianity. We forget this a lot. Hundreds of thousands of Jews converted after Pentecost to Christianity. Who got them ready for Christ? It was John the Baptist, including many of the apostles and disciples of our Lord. In fact, we're going to hear today um, some of Christ's apostles were originally disciples of John the Baptist, presumably in the wilderness. So John the Baptist was the one who truly made ready the pathway for Christ's arrival in in the Incarnation and prepared any of the Jews who would eventually believe in him to in Christ to believe in him by John the Baptist getting way getting ready the way in their hearts. So I would say pray to him a lot for guidance, especially in these prophetic times where there's so many false prophets, but it seems there's a lot of graces for courageous Christians who, Choose not to believe the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have to remember that in Roman Catholicism, before Vatican II, there was two sides of the church, the Marian side and the Joseph side. But in the first millennium of Roman Catholicism, my understanding, I'll have to get the footnotes on this, is the two sides of the church was the Marian side and the St. John the Baptist side. I'm not saying there's any competition between John the Baptist and Joseph, but what I'm saying is um, he's been seen next to Mary and Joseph as the very highest saint, or very very much one of the highest saints. If you go to an Eastern Catholic Church or Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, he's one of the only mandatory saints on the iconostasis. That's the wall between the people and the priest. I believe it is Christ, Mary, John the Baptist, and maybe an angel. That's the only mandatory icon. So he's extremely holy and extremely necessary to the entire gospel plan that we're going to be jumping into. We don't think of John the Baptist having his own disciples living out in the desert, but he had his own disciples. And today, if you're listening to the gospel, John the Baptist is in prison. Somehow, he sends his disciples to our Lord. If you watch any of the specials on National Geographic, you can see it's pretty easy to get messages outside of prison. But let's see what Father Lapide has to say about this. He says the Syriac has in the house of those who are bound, that is in the dungeon where Herod had shut John the Baptist up because he had reproved his adultery with Herodias. John then, a little before his death and martyrdom, sent these disciples to Christ in the 32nd year of Christ's age, which was the second year of his preaching, when Christ was becoming famous by his doctrine and miracles, so that they might learn from himself that he was the very Messiah or Christ, so that when John was dead they might go to him. For otherwise they might have made a schism from Christ and preferred John as their master to Christ. For the fact that they thought more highly of John than of Christ is plain from Matthew 9:14, And this is when the disciples of John the Baptist say to Christ, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Came okay, back to Father Lapide's words. As therefore the runners in the stadium hand on the torch to the runner who succeeds them in the course, so did John, when he had fulfilled his office and ministry, resigned it to Christ. And as the day spring dies away into the rising sun, so did John pale before Christ. For John was the morning star, Lucifer, light bearer of the Son of Righteousness, namely Christ. Therefore, not only did he not envy Christ, his rising glory, when his own was setting, but rejoiced at it. Yea, he desired to set, that Christ might arise. For he was ambitious, not of his own glory, but of God's and Christ's glory. Therefore, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. John chapter 3, verses 30. Let's look a little bit more into Father Lapida here. Remember that the disciples of John the Baptist go and say, Art thou he that art to come, or look we for another. Now the Greek there is ho er erhomenos, and a lot of times Greek will use what we don't have in English, which is like, I think it's a present participle. It's literally the coming one. You'll see this actually over Christ's head in these iconostases that I just mentioned. That's a very powerful image of our Lord, the coming one. Not just the one to come. I think too often we have this deistic idea, God wound up the universe, went up there, and then maybe he's going to come back or something. No, our belief is that in God we live and move and have our being, that Jesus Christ is in our tabernacles, and that not only will he come at the end of time, he is coming to judge the living and the dead. That is the apocalypse. He is on his way, and this is why he is the coming one. Ho er Father Lapidate calls him the Redeemer of Israel, the Savior of the world, the Messiah promised by all of the prophets. From these words of John, Tertullian and St. Justin think that John had doubts about Jesus as to whether he was the Christ or not. And by the way, this is what I believe. This is one of the few points of heresy I've ever preached from the pulpit. This was wrong. I should not have taught this. And Father Lapidae explains why this is wrong. Quote, For at the baptism of Christ, John, while baptizing Christ, had already seen the Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove and had heard the Father's voice saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3.17 So then why would John the Baptist send his disciples? Jerome has a side idea. We're going to get back to the mainstream idea. St. Jerome has a little bit of a... Uh, an ex- I shouldn't say eccentric, but an interesting idea. St. Jerome said he did not say, Art thou he who has to come, but art thou he who wilt come? And the meaning is, Tell me, since I am about to descend into Hades, whether also I shall announce thee to the shades below, as I have announced thee in the upper world, or is it not fitting that the Son of God should taste death, and wilt thou send another for these mysteries? So that's a very interesting thought right there. St. Jerome is basically saying St. John the Baptist didn't doubt if Jesus was the coming one, if he was the Messiah. He was simply asking, just as I preached to hundreds of thousands of Jews in the Holy Land, on Holy Saturday, do you want me to descend to the limbo of the fathers and preach them before you get there? Isn't that incredible? And then this is what St. Gregory the Great, the Pope, says, he doubts not that this was the Redeemer of the world, but asks whether he would descend to the gates of hell, end quote. So St. Gregory the Great and St. Jerome are saying that John the Baptist is asking, should I get limbo ready, the limbo of the fathers ready for you too? But alas, Father Lapide says, this opinion also seems less probable. Okay, Father Lapide says, therefore, quote, that John sends his disciples and asks Jesus whether he be the one who is to come, i.e. the Messiah, not because he doubts this, but because being near death, he wished his doubting disciples to be instructed concerning him, that they might be led to Christ. So says St. Hilary of Poitiers, St. John Chrysostom, St. Cyril, and others. Observe, too, continues Father Lapide, the prudence of St. John the Baptist. He, in his own name, asks Jesus if he be the Christ, because his disciples would not of themselves have dared to propose such a question, for he is the best physician. Who to cure a sick man, acts as though he were sick himself and takes nauseous medicine. So basically, what he's saying right there is John the Baptist, out of courtesy to his disciples, said, "Okay, you guys don't have the courage to just ask what everyone's wondering: Are you the Messiah? I'll foot the bill, even though I know the answer. Are you the Messiah?" Now Jesus' answer is so amazing because, as I just mentioned, we have so many false prophets running around, and even though the final Antichrist will work what seems to be the greatest miracles. He will um, seem to solve a lot of our problems at the very end of time. And Archbishop Bigano is saying some very interesting things about that right now, by the way. But notice that Jesus doesn't want to answer with just words because other people before our Lord had claimed to be the Messiahs. Our Lord doesn't want to just give words. He wants to say, essentially, the proof is in the pudding. Verse 4, And Jesus, making answer, said to them, Go and relate to John what you have heard and seen. And so he says, this is Father Lapidae's words, I might respond to your question not by word but by deed and by the truth itself. What he's about to say is an allusion to Isaiah 35, 5 and 61, 6. What What happened in Isaiah there? It says that the eyes of the blind would be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The Messiah would bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to captives. And here's the big one to listen to, to bring good news to the poor. But all of those, sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, binding up the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to captives, and bringing good news to the poor. So to recap real quick there, every good Jew knew these words of Isaiah. This was going to be the mark of the Messiah. And secondly, remember John the Baptist was not doubting. But he wanted to prove it to his disciples by christ's own words and what is the proof of christ's words his own actions jesus said in verse 4 and 5 go and tell john what you hear and see the blind receive their sight and the lame walk lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and before we move on to the imaginative way of prayer let's look at that last verse verse 6 of chapter 11 today It's a very interesting one. It says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That's very hard to understand in the ESV that I just read you, but actually the douay Rhymes Bible and the Latin, and I would say even the Greek is hard to understand. Father Lapide brings us back to the Syriac to tell us what that would have meant idiomatically back then. He, he He translates it as this, blessed is he who shall not stumble at me. That's an interesting way to put it. Blessed is he who shall not stumble at me. He quotes Pope St. Gregory the Great saying, I do indeed marvelous things, but I do not disdain to suffer shameful things. Father Lapide continues, There is a tacit reference to the disciples of John who were offended at Christ's lowliness, and he intimates, Christ intimates, that he, Christ, beheld the secrets of their minds and hearts. Remember, people are surprised that John the Baptist will not eat with people and Christ occasionally eats with people. We also heard that a little bit earlier in Matthew chapter 9 when we heard that uh, some of John's disciples even thought John the Baptist was better than Jesus because they said, why do we and the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast? So it was a little challenge from our Lord to the disciples of John the Baptist right there. A little challenge for our Lord to be like, Things aren't exactly, you guys might be fasting in the desert, but things aren't exactly as you see. Um, really, ultimately, the things are going to get shaken out here in Israel that blessed is he who shall not stumble at me. You might not understand why I occasionally eat with people, why I'm not out in the desert. But when I'm lifted high on the cross and I raise myself by my own power, then we'll understand that. But you have to stick with the cross through the crosses of embarrassment with me too. Father Lapide continues and St. Gregory says that unbelievers were greatly offended concerning Christ because after many miracles done, they saw him at length put to death. And St. Hilary says, because the cross was about to be a stumbling block to many, Christ pronounced them blessed to whom his cross, his death, his burial would bring no trial of their faith. But listen again a little bit earlier. Remember, Jesus is speaking to these amazing ascetical athletes in the desert. So I don't want to say it's a dig, but there's a little challenge from Christ to the disciples of John the Baptist. Father Lapide, there is a tacit reference to the disciples of John who were offended at Christ's lowliness. And Christ intimates that he, Christ, beheld the secrets of their minds and hearts. Okay, what I might suggest you do, you can pick anything you want in today's very rich gospel, but what I might suggest you do in today's gospel, if you're doing the imaginative way of prayer, is imagine going from being a disciple of John the Baptist and becoming a disciple of Jesus. Let's review the five points of the Ignatian mental way of prayer, also called the way of St. Teresa of Avila. This is what an old school priest sublimated out of the way of St. Teresa of Avila, these, these four points. One, the selection of material in preparation of meditation. You already got that. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. Consideration. This is where you step back, and even though most of you guys are getting good at this, it's good to kind of just look at the original way of doing this. Two is consideration. Who is here in this scene? What is he doing? Why is he doing it? What does it mean to me? So go slowly. Reread verses 1 through 6 of Matthew 11 today. And again, ask, who's in this scene? What's he doing? Why is he doing it? What does it mean to me? And then after like five or ten minutes of just silence. Silence is so important in all of this. um, This is where we hear, quote, Father Peter the Carmelite, this is his quote, the soul begins to talk slowly to Christ Telling him of its love for him, its desire to serve him, its willingness to do anything for him. He adores Christ in the scene of the day's meditation. He expresses his love for him, thanks him for past gifts, petitions petitions him for new favors in the future. So that's pretty easy to do if you imagine being one of John the Baptist's disciples in the desert, and then you think you're the bomb, and then you finally realize that even though it's been awesome and even good and holy and from God that you were following John the Baptist, now it's just like Day said, John the Baptist is handing off the runner's baton to someone who didn't look like he was running faster in the ascetical life, but he was. And so there's a humility of going from being John the Baptist disciple to Christ's disciple. The soul begins to talk slowly to Christ, telling him of his love for him, its desire to serve him, its willingness to do anything for him. Remember, St. Teresa of Avila says you can place yourself in the physical presence of Christ, talk with him, laugh with him, and confide in him. She says instead of using formal prayers, extemporaneously express your interests. This will result in rapid progress. And then step four is resolution or gratitude. Now, let me give a little note. You know, the gospel on the Sunday before the ascension, if you're doing this in real time, this was yesterday's gospel in the traditional Latin Mass. We heard this in John 16. Our Lord says, this is before his death, but the church makes a connection to the ascension here. Quote, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. end quote. So one of the suggestions I might have in your prayer today is humbly but boldly ask the Lord for a very specific grace and believe it will come to you. Um, I ask that my joy and charity be made complete. That's a big request, I realize, since I'm far from it. But we can't get to big goals without asking big graces to get there. And one reason it's so important to meditate, as we're seeing all the world I don't think is going to get back to normal for a good 10 years, is listen to yesterday's Collect. This was the Collect in the Latin Mass in the Sunday before Ascension. O God, from whom all good things do come, grant to us thy humble servants that by thy holy inspiration we may think those things that be good, and by thy merciful guiding may perform the same. End quote. Now that old school English translation might be a little bit confusing, but if you look in the Latin, it basically asks for two things Let me think the right things, and let me do the right things. And there's a connection between let Let me think and do the right things. And here's one of the connections there is we will do what we think of by God's grace, or as we heard, holy inspiration right there in Latin. Let me think and do the right things. Let me think the right things so I can do the right things. And this is why meditation is so important to pause this podcast, turn your phone to airplane mode. And even if you can only do five minutes, 15 minutes is better than five minutes, 30 minutes is better than 15 minutes. But if you can just turn your phone off for five minutes, enter into the silence and realize when you meditate on people like John the Baptist and Jesus you become like them you see if you think about the news all day you become like the newscasters but if you think about John the Baptist and Jesus you become like them that's the point of discipleship please say an our father for me et benedictio de patentes pacis fidei spedito descendit supervosit mani et semper amen